of the things that probably is not noticed is the fact that um, Amelia, you know, played all of the songs for the uh, congregational singing. And there's so much that goes on. Kenny standing up here leading the singing, Jimmy preparing the, the choir to sing, um, Stacy doing this, the, uh, the offertory this morning, and then these girls singing. How blessed. Um, how blessed to have the, all the different age groups in our church family uh, really involved, not just willing to participate and not doing it to show off. Um, just a tremendous blessing. What an encouragement. You know, I really, really am so blessed and encouraged. It's such a, it's such a um, uh, meaningful thing. But, um, you know, earlier today, and you guys really wouldn't know, you wouldn't, you know, not that it matters that much in one sense, but Noah was here, you know, uh, John and Kitty come in early and Noah comes in with them and Noah, you know, is the one that set this microphone up here to uh, my right so that the girls could stand in the, I, I, if I understand correctly, um, the sisters wanted to be able to be, hear each other somewhat, but not be able to hear each other to such a degree that they couldn't sing their own part. And uh, some people wrestle that. I remember when Amanda was uh, younger, my, my sons, Andrew and Chris, uh, would change um, harmonies while they were singing. And she'd be doing the melody, and they would just decide that they should start doing different harmonies while she was singing. And she would stop and swing at them and say, stop, I can't sing my part when you do it that way. So, amen. It's just a tremendous blessing. Really, it's such an encouragement. Uh, you know, I, I, I say that. I don't say it to... Um, because it's the right thing to say, I say it because it really is a blessing to me. And I'm just so encouraged for what God is doing in our church family. You know, uh, I got here, I had to go out and make some visits, and I came back, and Stacy was here um, uh, with Emily. And, and they were, Stacy was practicing her part to be able to play today. And after that, uh, you know, Rebecca and Cameron were in here, you know, practicing also. There's just so much that goes in. You know, you got, we'll get here tonight, most of us will come. About six o'clock for the evening service, and the choir will have been here for over an hour already, you know, doing their parts, practicing the things that they're working on. What a tremendous blessing. I'm just so thankful for the selflessness. The, uh, it matters. <clears throat> Open to the book of James, if you would. The book of James. This is our, I want to say our third week, if I'm correctly, if I'm correct, our third week uh, concluding, our third week concluding the book of James, uh, summarizing it, if you will, wrapping it up, going over the uh, few things. I'm not going to go over it again. I gave a, a, a kind of a loose, um, a simple, not really loose, a simple um, outline of the book that goes chapter by chapter. Uh, and we, we studied through that when we were actually studying the book. But then what I did is I gave you six major themes that, that, that continue, they, they're threads. They don't come in a specific chapter. They run all the way through the book. And I, I pointed them out. The first one is promise. The second one is temptation. And that includes trial, tongue, and lust. And the third one is patience, and then perfect. And then fifth is peace. And sixth is pray. And you'll notice that all of them, except for number two, have a P in them. But they, the actual English words do. You know, John was making reference in the Sunday school class in this room that God did, a, did a, a tremendous thing throughout history in preparing for the Word of God to go forth. Uh, and he used Alexander the Great, who conquered the world, but he used it to basically give one common language 
over the dominant portion of the population of the planet at that point spoke Greek. And they didn't just speak Greek, they spoke Koine Greek, Koine Greek, which is common, just everyday language. But this is many, 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 many different kingdoms, nations that were taught one common language. One of the things that happens in the age in which we live is uh, because of the Soviet Union, um, all of Eastern Europe learned Russian. And because of that, uh, Glenn can, in just a couple of languages, really, if you can speak, um, if you can speak Chinese, Spanish, English, and Russian, you can speak to a huge portion of the planet right now just in those languages. And of course, the trade language is English, and Glenn is able to speak to them in English. But we have men in our church that speak other languages, and it's just remarkable how God has... Now, the interesting thing is when the Soviet Union was dominating that side of the world, they were not thinking, oh, I want to make this easy to be able to speak to anything about Jesus in one language. That's not what, they were, that's not what Alexander was thinking when he, when he made them learn Greek. And yet, see, God is sovereignly behind all the rulers of this world, and what they often mean for evil or for selfishness, God means for good in our lives. And it's just a tremendous blessing. Anyway, the reason I mention that is because the, the, the words that I gave you, they are, in the English language, the promise, the patience, the perfect peace and pray. These are words that you'll see running through, and we'll take a, a continual look at that. What I'd like to do uh, is just take a moment, a couple moments this morning, uh, to continue that. We can't go back. If you want to see or listen to, I think you can at least listen to, you might be able to see. The last uh, couple of weeks, you're welcome to go back and look at those. Uh, we have already looked at the word promise and, and the theme as that runs through the book. And then we began looking at temptation, trial, tongue, and lust. And we were looking at that together last week. We were in cha James chapter 3. Turn to James chapter 3 and verse 8. And I read uh, a lot uh, on each side of it, talking about how we basically went back all the way to the beginning of chapter 3, and we talked about this truth. This is such a significant thing. You would be, well, you might not be surprised. You might be, though. How many people have come to see me to, um, I was going to say confess, but it makes it sound like they're guilty of something, although all of us are probably guilty of the same thing, but really to acknowledge, I guess, that they had not really ever considered how much damage has been done on this planet with this muscle, the tongue muscle. You think about it. It's a remarkable truth how much hurt, the, the vast majority of the hurt, you know, there's, a, there's, this, there's this thing that we learned when we were kids, if you remember Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I don't know who they're trying to convince when they say that. Because words hurt everybody. Words hurt a lot more than anything else do. They hurt a lot deeper. The book of Proverbs talks about the fact that gossip, that when you, when you talk behind somebody's back, that basically it, the, the Bible says that it, that it wounds uh, to the stomach is the, is the word. Really, it's gut wound is what it is. Now, it, the thing about a gut wound is this. In the age in which we live, if you're, if you're injured, if you're shot in the abdomen, there's a good chance that you'll still die if you're shot in the abdomen. What I mean by that is this. A hundred years ago, you were going to die. And all through history until that point, if you were wounded in the gut, it was a fatal wound. There was, and, it was, and by the way, dying of a gut wound, I don't want to go into graphic detail, but it's, it's, it's not only not a um, painless death, it's not even a pleasant death. It's a very, very, very terrible thing. And God says when we hurt each other with our tongues, now hear me, please hear me. 
When you hurt others with your tongue, you are gut wounding them. And it's, and it's not something that they're ever going to fully recover from, nor even though you apologize, will you ever fully recover of having done it. So God put a door on our mouths. Um, you know, we live in an age where being a Christian, uh, we're holding to the word of God, I guess is the, how I would say this. Holding to the word of God as, as absolutely true is not only not popular, it is, and, and when I say frowned upon, I'm not just talking it's not politically correct. If you really believe that the word of God is true as it is written, you're odd. Really, you're a little stupid as far as the world is concerned. It's a strange thing to me. So, but hear what I'm saying when I say this. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to hurt with your tongue. And in your mind, you may think that you're simply defending your position on the Word of God. But if you're hurting with your tongue when you do this, you're wrong. Now, if you state the truth in love, with, 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 with the compassion that Christ would have, and people are bothered by that, that's different. But God help us. And you should make this your daily prayer. God help us. Because what's going to happen is many of these conversations, they will not be, there'll be no lead time in these conversations. You understand what I'm saying? There will be no, in an hour, somebody's going to say something untrue or unpleasant or very sharp or very abrupt in your presence, maybe at you, maybe about somebody that you love, and you're going to have to respond. So you should make preparation for that right now. That's not how it's going to happen. What's going to happen is you're going to be at work. There's going to be a conversation going on. Somebody's going to ask you to become involved in that conversation. You might even consider not becoming, and you might even consider strongly not becoming involved in the conversation. But when you do, what you'll find is at some point there will be a, a sharp phrase or statement used that you may immediately want to um, answer, give an answer concerning. Be really careful how you give that answer. Because if you can show people the love of God in Christ, you will do them a far better service than you ever will winning the argument. And I did not know this as a young man. I was, you know, the Bible talks about being full of zeal and not knowledge. And there's a, I had, was full of a great deal of zeal as a young Christian. And, I, and, I, and the worst thing about it I was, is I was a reasonably well-read Christian. I mean, I studied my Bible a lot. So I knew a lot of verses. I knew how to, quote-unquote, give an answer for the conversations that were happening. Answers that satisfied me wonderfully. And what I've realized is this. One, you'll never argue anybody into the kingdom of God. Two, people will just stop listening to you. Three, they won't listen to you later when you realize you were wrong about how you said it. You really won't be able to go back, and, and they won't be able to hear you. You may be able to help somebody else, but you're not going to be able to help them. God help us in this passage. Now, I'm going to just read this passage. I want you to hear it, because you say, well, you're kind of overstating that a little bit, aren't you, preacher? But let me just show you what it says. We're going to read all the way. Um, uh, well, I'll read, and I'll just stop. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. By the way, let me just say this at the very beginning. What you'll notice is there's a danger in teaching. There's a danger in standing up. And the, the idea here of being many masters is this. Before you, before you receive or accept the responsibility to speak before a group of people, 
recognize that what you're, if you're getting ready to stand in front of a group of people and teach a Sunday school class, what you're doing is you're getting ready to stand before them and hear me, and to say this is what the Word of God says, but not just to say that, but the way you say it is going to communicate. If you remember, Moses was, was condemned by God, not just for what he said, but for how he said it. See, he misrepresented God. And we don't want to be guilty of this. It, it tells us, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that she, we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. And if any man offend not in word, that's the same as a perfect man. That means mature. It means under control. Is a perfect man. And is able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the mouths of horses, and they obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven by, and are driven by fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members. And it defileth our whole body, and is set on fire, excuse me, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of bird, and of serpent, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God. In other words, we sing praises to God. We say good things about God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men. Not necessarily even the brethren, just men, just others, which are made after the similitude of God. All humans are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And this is what God... Now again, in contrast to this, John read the passage beginning in verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Now listen, how do you... Look up here for a moment. How do you manifest that there is wisdom in your life, that you are a wise person? How does that happen? What does that look like? And here's the thing. Listen, listen. Most people think that to prove that you're wise, you should demonstrate it through speaking your great wisdom to everybody. The interesting thing is there's a proverb that says that even, even a fool can be thought wise if he'll just shut up. So if you'll just sit and listen to people talk and say nothing, and when they walk away after having said all their great swelling words, and they think about you being in the room, they'll think, he was smart enough to say nothing. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife, so if there's competition in the way you're living your life, if you're concerned about how you look as opposed to how someone else looks, if that's your hard attitude, and if you have a need for people to remember your name in the midst of this, Glory not, and stop lying about it, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, what you think is wisdom, your need to be a somebody, descends not from above. This is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy 
and strife is. There is confusion and every evil work. The phrase that we use often is there is no substitute for humility. There is none. The other day I was at a board meeting. Uh, the board consists primarily of pastors from, of churches from different parts of the country, as well as a, a couple of deacons from the church that is the parent church of the board uh, that I was, uh, the meeting was of. It was a four-hour meeting, a four-hour meeting, discussing the business of a specific uh, mission agency. And the spirit with which it was done was such an encouragement to me. Pastor Walt Coles was there, and he and I were, excuse me, well, Pastor Walt Coles has retired from it. Pastor Walt Coles was there. But Pastor Mike Asher and I were talking afterwards, and we were talking about what a blessing it was to have men in the same room, so many men in the same room, who may not all be of exactly the same uh, opinion, if you will, about something, but all being of the same heart about something. We had the uh, Pastors Fellowship. The Area Pastors Fellowship was on Friday this week over in... uh, over in Yorktown, um, over near Hampton, Newport News area. And there were a lot of pastors there also. And I've been to these meetings a lot. I mean, I've been to these meetings for many, 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 many years. There was a period of time when I went to these meetings because I was a Bible college student and I was, I was, it was compulsory. I had to go. And boy, I didn't like going to them at all because there, were such, there was such a fullness of competition, such a fullness of bragging, such a, a fullness of, uh, of my church, my church, my church, that type of an attitude. And it just was so depressing, so sad. Uh, but this is not true. I mean, it wasn't true. The other, it, was just, just, it was just tremendous. In fact, uh, I got a text later on that day from, from, my, from Pastor Asher um, saying, um, what a blessing it was to be together and to rejoice in the Lord Jesus. And I said, you know, when I consider the board meeting that we were, that we were together with the other day and the, uh, and the pastor's fellowship they were at today, it's so encouraging to me. Because I've seen so much pride, so much strife, in, uh, especially in Baptist churches. God set us free from this. God set Tidewater free from this. See, where there's envy and strife, listen, that's what it says, where there's envy and strife. And see, here's the thing, let me say this. Envy, envy is not even an external emotion. It can be. You can see somebody, if somebody's really envious, you, it can be manifested. But envy is not an external emotion. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? Anger is typically an external emotion. You, you, you know, when I'm angry, uh, my family can, if you can, even if you don't say anything, your countenance will change typically to, to such a degree that's visible that you're angry. But you can be envious and even have a little smile on your face while you're doing it. You understand? But wherever that is, wherever there's envy... Wherever there's strife, and again, this strife simply means um, that there is a, um, a selfishness, really. So the envy, I don't want you to have. Selfishness, I want to have. So wherever there is envy and strife, there is confusion, disorder. And not only that, there's every evil work. So hear me. If, if all of us walked after the Spirit and not after the flesh, if you walked around like Jesus walks around, there we, we, we would have no problem with each other ever at all. Meaning, what I mean by that is this. The Lord Jesus had never hurt anybody with his words. The Lord Jesus never attacked anybody. The Lord Jesus never even defended himself angrily. He was still disliked. But 
not because of the way he acted, but because of the envy and strife in the heart of the others. So if a church, if a local church is full of the love of Christ the way God would have a local church, or local churches are full of the love of Christ the way God would have local churches to be full of the love of Christ, then our fellowship will be how good, how behold, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Because that's really, if there's envy and strife, there is no unity. Whether we're all sitting quietly in the same room and vote 100% on whatever business meeting we have, wherever there's envy and strife, there is not unity. And God wants to, listen, God wants to set us, thank God he can do this, set us all free from envy and strife. Where we can actually rejoice when somebody else has something great happen in their life. When someone else has great good in their, or another church has great and wonderful things. You want to know there's no revivals in America? Because whoever did it would brag and boast about it. And see, God just can't bless that. He cannot bless that attitude. You know, I mean, God wants so much to bless his children. If we could be humble and receive that blessing, he would pour out such greatness in our lives. And our churches would be so full of abundance. And I mean the right kind of abundance. I'm not talking about financial abundance, although we wouldn't want for that. And we don't. I'm thankful for that. But there would be such an abundance in the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives. What an overflow that would be. As I said about the, the choir, the people doing the special music, you know, doing the offertories, what a, how this matters to those who come in and see us for the first time. How it matters that the orchestra play their instrument. It matters to people. They come in, they don't know anything about it. And they look and they say, oh, look at these people who are committing their, their time and that which God has given them to be a blessing to others. What a tremendous blessing that is. And this is what God wants us to see. But the wisdom that's from above. Now notice this. So we, talk, we saw what envy and strife bring, but there's confusion in every evil word. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now, again, I don't want to go into this. We went into this a great deal when we studied this. But what this means is this. God's wisdom is not a mixture of what we were just looking at with some of these other things. So what he's saying is this. God's wisdom is complete. This is like if you go read 1 Corinthians 13, when you see what love is like. Love has no mixture of selfishness in it. Okay, And God's wisdom has no mixture of selfishness in it. So what does it have? So it's first pure. Then, now listen to me. Let's, let's listen to this. Listen to the wisdom that's from above. Peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This is what God wants us to see. This is what God, when we see the promise that God has given us, the promises that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and then we see this, the, what God says concerning the temptation, the trial, the tongue, the lust that's in the life, you just realize how significant it is that God would give victory over this. Because now look at the contrast going into chapter 4. And this is where, this is the last thing that we'll see concerning uh, the uh, temptation, trial, uh, tongue, and lust. But what I want you to see is in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And I don't have time to go over this, but it goes all the way to verse 5. From whence come wars and fightings among you? So where does this come from, right? So if the fruit of righteousness can be sown in peace, then why is there no peace, right? Isn't that, isn't that a strange contrast? Yes, right? From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? See, he's not saying, so, so why does town hall have so much argument going on? Why can't the Republican Party and the Democratic Party get on the same page? That's not what he says. He says, why would there be any wars and fightings in the churches? Why would that be true? So he asked the question. 
So since we know that the wisdom that comes from above is what? Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, since that's true, then from whence come wars and fightings? Even come they not from hence? Even of your lusts? That war in your members? Now here's the curious thing. Look up here for just a moment. <laughs> Our disagreement is really an overflow of your disagreement within you and the disagreement that's within me. Now what I want you to notice is this. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Now, here's, here's what this is saying. Because here's the question. Does that mean that go on in the, the war that you're having in yourself? Or does that mean the war that we're having in, in the church? And the answer is yes. Yes. See, listen. There is only, there is only contention where there is pride. See? So, so hear me. The war that we saw back in chapter one, right, where the new creature suddenly doesn't want to live the way you were living before. When we get saved, we don't want to live the way we were living before. We want there to be a difference in our lives. And so, that, and so now there's a warfare going on with the side, which, by the way, Christ is winning, praise God. But here's what happens where you want to still win in certain areas of your life. And here's what happens. I make peace with certain things in my life that God doesn't want to be in my life. But there's still a warfare going on in my life because of that. And then what happens is this. Let's just tell him to pick Mr. Bailey because he's sitting right there. And so Mr. Bailey and I are having a conversation. And what happens is this. Where his internal conflict is going on and my internal conflict are going on, when we meet each other, well, now they're going to go on against each other. Do you understand? And so here's what happens. Listen, listen. The humble man doesn't want anybody on his side. But the, but the person who has pride wants to win friends in the church, right? So, you know, Greg and I are having this disagreement, and Kenny and I are talking, and I, and I, and I don't want to be a gossip about this or anything. I just want to somehow communicate to Kenny that Greg's wrong, right? And, you know, so we tell our story, and we're the hero in our story, you know, right? You know, the hero was just doing, minding his own business, doing everything wonderfully right. And then Greg came along and ruined everything, Kenny. And Kenny says, man, Greg's a terrible person. Yes, I agree. We should help Greg. Well, let's pray for Greg. Yes? That's the Baptist way, man. God is not honored in that. So don't do it. Don't do it. Recognize when you have a disagreement with somebody, it's your fault. Every bit as much as it is their fault, it is your fault. Because I promise you, I promise you, the Lord Jesus does not go around talking behind our backs to one another. It's not how he would have us to treat each other. And praise God, the promise of the book of James is it doesn't have to be this way. That's what he says. Okay, look, look going on, I'm just read it. You lust. See, now all lust means is this. You have a strong desire. You want a certain thing. And again, I, I've joked about this, but it really isn't a joke because some churches have actually had trouble with it. You know, we have, I don't even know what you call it. I didn't know, valance? Is that a valance? Is that what you call that? It's, right, it's not a complete curtain, right? So I didn't know what color it is. Is that gray? I'm going to call it gray. So, so here's, the, here's the valance right there. Now, those valances were picked. Am I right about that? Is that a valance? 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 Is that what you call that? I was going to be right, right? If I'm going to go on saying it for a little while. So, so 
I, I believe that uh, three women picked out all the colors for everything in the church, including those. And to my knowledge, there was absolutely no disagreement about any of this. But there has been in churches disagreement. You say, not about the curtains. Yeah, there has been. Or the color of the carpet. Strong disagreement. Now you say, well, that's absurd. Well, it's all absurd. Do you understand? Listen, the, please hear me. The goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. The goodness of, and what that means is this. The goodness of God leads us to stop saying we think we're right and start saying we think that Jesus is right about everything. Therefore, all we want for our brothers and sisters, all we want for everybody that we come in contact with is this. We just want them to have the goodness of God in their life. Amen? And so where this humility, where this is actually happening, where there's no lust, where there's no, where there's no lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and warrior, you cannot have because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. So much prayer is selfish. We pray because we want something a certain way. God deliver us all from selfish prayer. God, I mean, honestly, what a... What a liberty we have in Christ. Again, if you were here Thursday night, um, we had a, a, a guest with us Thursday night. One of the men that came brought someone with us. And, uh, and, and what's wonderful to me is there, there is no, there's no need for Thursday night to go any special way at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we come in and we say, well, no, 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 you can't talk. Not yet. We have the structure. Oh, you can't monopolize the time. You know, a, a weeks ago, there was someone who was going through a great difficulty, and the, almost the entire time was about the difficulty this person was going through. And yet, I, I can say this honestly, each time this has happened, the person that has brought up whatever the difficulty was in their life has actually said, well, I don't want to make this about me. I don't want to take all the time tonight. And yet, everybody else in the room said, no, brother, we're glad to be here for you tonight. It's, it's, it is so... Um, It is so wonderful. And you can sense, strongly sense, the only desire of the other people in the room is if they're going to say anything, that it help the person that they're going to speak to. Not say, oh yeah, let me tell you my story too. Oh yeah, let me tell you my story. Let me get it. Like, me, 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 me. It's not it. See, because you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. If we would pray for one another selflessly, and we do sometimes. I mean, we really do. And praise God for that. When we pray for one another selflessly, God can't wait to give an answer to that prayer. But when we pray selfishly, God says, I, I can't. I mean, that's what he says here. I can't give that to you. I can't give that to you. Because the reason that you want it is wrong. Not only is what you want not what you should want, but your motive for wanting it is not what I want to accomplish in your life. And so what God is showing us, and we'll get next week, next week we're going to move beyond the, uh, the, the temptation, move beyond the, uh, the, the things of lust in our life. We're going to begin to look at patience. And, and I'm going to close uh, this morning. I just want you to, as we get ready to look at the, at the, at the uh, thread of patience that runs through the book, let me just say this. The word patience means to wait expectantly, okay? To wait expectantly. This is what patience means. There's a victory in my life. I just haven't seen it yet. Now, look, this is not some kind of a, what do you want to call it? Self-help guru speech. There is, God is going to win this in my life. And I, and I know why, because he says so right here. When you trust God at his word, what patience is, is you waiting for him to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. 
And by the way, you know, again, I'm going to quote, you know, Ronnie Jacobs, he said this a number of times, and not have to stay up all night long trusting God. God is going to win this in my life. I'm waiting for him to win this in my life. We're going to look at this together next week. Now listen, please, why does this matter? Why does, why does this thread of patience run through the same book that temptation runs through, that lust runs through? And here's why. Because this is an ongoing battle in our life. Yes? You know, why does the Bible say that we must daily take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him? Why? Why daily? Right? You know, you guys remember the once for all button? I'm, if there was a once for all button, I would sell it, Honestly. Well, I don't know. I, just, I would just keep it, I guess, and just hit it. All the time we want to say, Lord, and really, so sincerely, you've all had those times of those quiet time moments where you've been in the Word of God, you know, really talking to God about wonderful things, and you say kind of something like this, Lord, I'll never be like this again. I'm so glad to see that I don't have to be like this. I'll never be like this again till tomorrow. Right? And then tomorrow you have to wake up and say, Lord, I deny myself. I take up my cross. I'm dead. I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to let you be the Lord of my life today because if I am, I'm going to go right back to what I was doing before. There's an awful lot of, um, there's an awful lot, honestly, hear me, please hear me. There's an awful lot of Christianity, um, of, there's a lot, of, a lot of confession, I guess I would say, in Christianity. You know, because we'll confess our faults, he'll hear us. There's an awful lot of confession in Christianity. And thank God that there can be a lot of confession in Christianity. But there can be more victory in our lives if we'll not walk after the flesh, if we'll walk after the Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Here's how you know that you're walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And if you want to see it, turn with me to Galatians. Turn to Galatians. This is such an important passage. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. This is, what, this, is, this is how victory really looks. This is, this is what victory looks like, okay? Galatians chapter 5. By the way, if you want to see what it doesn't look like, you can start at verse 19 and read through 21. But if you want to see what victory looks like in your life, you want to really see what it looks like to walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh, you can see it because here's the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the, affliction, with, the, with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Do you see how this same truth is spoken of here? But listen, you just, you know, we talk about refrigerator verses, right? Refrigerator verses or mirror verses. There are a lot of people who put different verses. Put this on your refrigerator. Put this on your mirror. Put this on your mirror in your bathroom, right? In the master bathroom in your house, unless you're one of the kids, unless you're a child here, then put it on whatever bathroom you use in the house. Put this on. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This, if this is not what's happening in your life, you're walking after the flesh. You can be very religious walking after your flesh. But where these things are actually taking place in your life, and, and you'll know when they're taking place in your life, because you'll have a, um, a joy 
a joy and not a pride, if you understand. You'll, you will be happy. You will be gratefully happy. That, I guess that's how I would say it. You will be gratefully happy. And this is what God is. Listen, this is the victory. This is the victory of James. This, this whole new quality of life in your everyday life. Everywhere we go, people need to see this kind of truth in our lives. And we are powerless to produce it on ourselves. That's why we're not to walk after the flesh. But the Spirit of God is never tired. Boy, is anybody tired? Some of you are tired. I can see it, I can see it in your faces this morning. Some of you are really tired. It's been, a, it's been, for some reason, it's been like a long, hard couple of weeks. Listen, but somebody said this. I think either John James, somebody prayed this in my presence uh, maybe yesterday, talking about how, maybe it was Gary Kimmy, talking about how when we're tired, when we're tired, physically tired, physically beat up, it is really easy for some reason to, for our flesh to exert itself. You ever, anybody ever notice that? When, I, when, when the Lord really first started to deal with me about things in my life, one of the things that I realized was this. Um, when I began to get tired, I would just want to go to bed. And, but you know why? Not because I needed to go to sleep. I just needed to not be around people anymore, Right? Because what I realize is this, you know, you want, we want to walk after the Spirit in a wonderfully full way. But some days you have this sense, I don't feel like I'm full of the Spirit like I should be. I don't feel like this is the way I ought to behave myself. You know, and again, I haven't done anything terrible yet, but I can feel it. You know, you, you, maybe, you, maybe I'm the only one that realizes this. Some of you are nodding, so I'm not the only one that realizes this. If we will walk after the Spirit, we can be a great help to others. But listen, born again, educated. Uh, intelligent, well-studied Christians who are walking after their flesh are, are, are no better than anybody else. Do you understand? And even if we're walking after the Spirit, we're still no better than anybody else. But the one that lives within us is greater than everybody else. Amen? That's the difference. And where that's true, this is what our life is like. This has been so convicting to me. Where this is not true in my life, I'm wrong. There, there's no defending it. Do you understand? You can, I, and I have. God, God knows this. We can say, well, the reason that this happened, I, you can, I mean, you can ask my kids they, how many times they've heard me say in their presence to my wife, well, the reason I did that was, you know what I'm saying? It's always somebody else's fault, but it's not. It's your fault. Because if the Holy Spirit is ruling in your life, your response is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what it is. Where that's not true, something's wrong. And the promise, again, it's no good to just say that. Say, oh man, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. Once again, I'm terrible. That's not the point. The point is, the promise is that it won't be true in your life anymore. That walking after the flesh will not be the reality of your life anymore. This is the promise of God, right? Christ is going to come. The Christ is going to pay for your sins. Then, after he pays for your sins, right, it is expedient for you that I go away because when I go, I will send forth the comforter, right? So the Christ is going to pay for your sins and then immediately give you the Holy Ghost. And he's going to change your life. Father, thank you for these things. I thank you for, the, for, the, for your power in, in mere men. I thank you that you would live not just among us, but that you would live within us. And that you have the power to so change our lives, Lord, that we could indeed walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Lord, bless us. Lord, bless us as we would, one, be aware of how easy it is for us to walk after the flesh. And two, 
for us to be completely aware of what you show us in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 and how you yourself have the power to change us inwardly to such a degree that if we will follow you in our hearts, not walking after our heart, but after your heart, Lord, you can change us from the inside out. Thank you for these things. Be honored and glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you...